Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. On, on the bride of Christ and we pretend that it's godly and it's not godly at all it's from a different kingdom so um, I want to read uh, my internet has just started working my computer is so slow so let's try and wind it up a little bit so in Luke 7 verse 31 and he says to what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. There is a spirit of religion and legalism that is opposed to the move of God. And this spirit of religion and legalism, this, this spirit of witchcraft, is set against the people of God. And, and it is manifest in a way that it is never happy. It's never happy. You can be the most austere Christian in the world and, well, you're just doing it for you know, other people. You're judged because of your motives. No matter what you do, you're wrong. Like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're wrong. Because this spirit of religion, this legalistic spirit, this spirit of witchcraft has risen up against the church to just demolish everything that you even are doing or who you are. It's apparent in the church throughout history. Galatians 3 the book of Galatians, I'll try and do this without notes so that I can get some kind of flow. The church in Galatians in, in chapter 3, let me give you some background. It, like I was looking at a bunch of epistles and all, all, you know, the Apostle Paul writes to the churches and he says, wow, I thank God for you, you're amazing, you're phenomenal, you're wonderful, look what God's doing in your midst. He says that time and time again to, to I think it's every epistle that he writes, he does this. Like, what's the church in Corinth known for? Most of us would say immorality. Most of us would say that the church in Corinth is known for being really immature and being immoral. That they had, you know, Paul was really angry at them at times because they had, you know, a lot of sexual sin going on. And, you know, Paul's kind of like, reeling at them at times, it seems, and yet this is how he opens up his introduction to the church in Corinth. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything, say everything, everything. that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. The testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, and here you are, you have guys living with their stepmothers and doing all this kind of stuff, you know. This was a church where incest was rampant. It's all, I mean, it's awful. It was just an awful kind of thing. 
Um, so that you're not lacking in any gift. What? You're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, Corinthian church, I love you. Look what God's doing in your midst. This is amazing. Well, what would we do? Oh, don't go near that church. Like, honestly, what would we do? There is so much religion in us, in me, that we're just afraid of a bunch of stuff. And, and, and there was one epistle that Paul didn't go to them and say, oh, you're great, look what God's doing. And that was the church in Galatia. Now, this church in Galatia was from, it was a Celtic church. They were a Celtic community. We own everything. Just to be clear, we own everything. And, um, you know, so they knew spirituality. They were very familiar with spirituality. They were very familiar with the, the operation of the spiritual through the natural and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was very familiar. But they, they were also, like most Celtic cultures, they were a little bit legalistic. They liked rules. They liked, you know, they liked going to the dark side with all of that kind of stuff. So, and Paul's writing to them, and immediately he gets into them. Immediately he starts, you know, grace to you, which he does all the time. Grace to you, God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. He does that time and time again. There's no message of anything they're doing personally. And the first personal comment he has on them, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. I'm amazed, like this is a church that's moving in signs and wonders and miracles. They're filled with the Spirit. They are born again. There's no doubt this is the church. And Paul goes straight in and said, hey, I'm amazed that you're deserting the one that has called you. I'm amazed. And he puts it down in Galatians 3 to this. He said, who has hexed you? Who has put a spell on you? There is someone that has put this, there is a witchcraft that has risen up against you and put this spell on you to say, you know a better way, that there is a different gospel. And this is not the gospel of faith righteousness, it is the gospel of self-righteousness. This is the witchcraft that's so apparent in the church today. It is everywhere you look. If only you were this, that, or the other, you would be spiritual. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm talking about righteousness. I'm t- not talking about your paycheck. You, 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 your paycheck, right? You have to go into work and do what your boss tells you. That's not witchcraft. That's getting your paycheck. All right? You, you have to, like, keep... The, the, the cops are not operating in a spirit of witchcraft when they try to slow you down. Right? You can't go to a speed sign and say, Witchcraft! <laughs> Trying to control me. You don't get to control. That's, that's nonsense. I'm talking about righteousness. I'm talking about how it is you're made righteous. This right standing and righteousness is, is part of this kingdom economy that says righteousness is not about how you behave. It's just about making sure everything is set back the right way up. Making sure everything is as it should be. That's what righteousness, it's in right standing, it's as it should be, as it should be. In fact, the early translators of, you know, before even the King James, they used the word right ways as opposed to righteous. They interpreted the Hebrew word and the Greek word as right ways. 
because everything was like the right way up. That's what righteousness is. And how do you get your righteousness? Now, do we really, really, really believe that? Or are we under this spell of saying, if only I could be a little bit better? If only I could function, if only I could drop this hankering, this temptation, this desire, or even this sin. If only I could break this sin, then I'd be righteous. It is a different gospel. If only I could stop sinning, then I would be righteous is a different gospel. And it is the gospel you'll hear preached more often than not. Like, we talk about righteousness as something that I really try to do. But it's not. It is the cross alone. Like, I preach Christ and Him crucified. It is the cross alone. It is not the cross plus my best efforts. It's not the cross plus not watching TV. It's not the cross plus not being on Facebook. It's not the cross plus whatever it is. Like we're so afraid of not being righteous. And you shouldn't be. That's the good news. Wow, look at that. And here's the, here's the shocking thing. The inability to accept that for myself means I don't accept it for you. Like I, if I don't learn how to accept that for me, I will never accept it for you. And I'll always demand that you change to look like me. And that is witchcraft. It is me starting to speak things over your life so that you start to behave in a way that I am pleased with. And I don't care whether it's the Mosaic law or whether it's the rules of being Pentecostal. I don't care. The minute those laws stand in opposition to what the cross of Christ stood for, it has to be thrown out. Like, he was bruised for what? He was bruised so that I don't have to be. Come on, that is good news. Like, he was made sin so that I don't have to be. That has got to make you happy. Here's the rub, though. He was made sin so that you don't have to be. See the person sitting beside you? He was made sin so they don't have to be. See your children, your spouses, your work, your co-workers, your, the people you're at college or school with. He was made righteous so they would, he was bruised so they wouldn't have to be. He was made sin so they don't have to pay the price. What else does it say about him? What, ha- what else does it say about the cross? That he was wounded for our transgressions and, and by his stripes, like, he suffered so I don't have to. We, we follow a risen Lord who, according to his own admission, says that the, I come eating and drinking. That's shocking for a Nazarene. I came eating and drinking and you called me. I don't know, what, I don't know if it was Diet Coke. I don't know. But by his own admission, he said, I came this way and you call me this. 
Nothing's ever good enough for you. Nothing will please the religious mind. Nothing will please the religious mind. Nothing. Nothing is going to please the guy or gal who tries to influence you to behave exactly the way they want you to. Nothing. For I'm amazed that you so quickly deserted him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. It's not another gospel. It's the old gospel. It's not the gospel. It's the old law. This isn't something new. This is something that existed before. Galatians 3. Let's look at Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you do this? How did you get in? How did you become a Christian? You just said, like it says in Romans 4, I believe in the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's kind of it. And then somehow the standard for your righteousness was elevated. Somehow the standard for your righteousness moved away from even the Mosaic law and became the church law. That this is not how you're made righteous. You will wear a three-piece suit. You will wear jeans with holes in them. If you're not doing this, you're not righteous. If you're not speaking Shabbat-Dabbalan stuff, you're not going to be righteous. Right? If you're not getting glitter in your hands, you're not going to be righteous. Like we make up all these rules. If you're not worshiping this way or that way or this way, you're not going to be righteous. Like we place rules on people. And honestly, it's people like me. It's people like me that create this culture to say, hey, if only we can get people to comply, then we don't have to worry about a thing. And that is witchcraft. It is witchcraft, witchcraft, witchcraft. And it's a different gospel. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Stupid, right? I've begun by the Spirit, but now I'm going to be able to do it on my own. All I need to do to conquer this sin is just work a little bit harder. How's that working out for you? Not super well. Right? But you've begun by the Spirit, but you think you need to, like the teaching is, well, you just got to pray more, read the Bible more, make more declarations, tithe a little bit more. You just need to do all that, and then you'll be made. No! Like when you're, when you, when you're, when you're brought in by the Spirit, when, when Jesus has made the way, what do you think the cross does? Do you think... Do you think you're better at conquering sin than Jesus? Ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. But if I try really hard, maybe I can conquer my sin. Or I can just take it what he says is actually the way we conquer sin is just to rely that Jesus conquered sin. And I have to start believing that he conquered sin, even my sin. When I'm in the middle of sin, I have to believe that. Oh, that's tough. I'm going to try really hard. (laughs) It's so hard. It's so hard to just receive. 
It's so hard to receive. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is it by the law or by hearing with faith? Hearing with faith, let me tell you what what that is. Huh. Okay, it's that simple. We're told to do this. Let's do that. Oh. Oh, maybe God's like not doing this in my life. Maybe I've come across an obstacle because I have this sin in my life and I have to like, overcome this sin. Uh, no. He overcame sin. He overcame sin. Oh, Ian, are you giving a license to sin? I'm giving you a license. To be forgiven. I am giving you a license to to actually grab what Jesus did at the cross and say, this is so much a part of my life. Because what happens when you do that is you start to respond as a lover. Like you start to respond as, so what did Jesus say to, you know, he's talking to Peter and Peter was scandalized. I think it's in the next bit in Luke, isn't it? Where this sinful woman comes in to this crowd of religious people and she's just ministering to him and Peter's like, what's she doing? I can't remember if it was this time or it was the time in, in, with, in the house, you know. What's she doing? Like, Lord, do you not know what she's doing? Do you not know who this woman is? And Jesus' reply to him was, basically, those that are forgiven much. Yeah. Like, if you understand the depth of your forgiveness, you respond in a way to say, you know what, I understand this is not my works. I understand that this is not my works that I should boast. I understand this is not my works that I should boast. I understand that this was paid, somebody paid a price for me, and I'm going to live like, like I love them. I am going to tithe because I love a man. I am going to treat my neighbor with respect because I'm in love with a man. Yeah. Like you start to respond. If I do, if I treat, if, honestly, we're 25 years married. Most of them are happy. I've been happy for 25. Rachel's been mad at me a few times. But I'm sure I wasn't all, anyway. Dig the hole. If I responded to Rachel out of duty and responsibility and fear because I thought I had to earn something, we wouldn't be married 25 years. But if I respond to Rachel because I love her and, and I want to make, like I want to do what is the right thing by her, then we're married, happily married 25 years. And yet we don't get that because we think we can work it up. We think we can actually work up this sin thing and we can just like wrestle it to the ground. And part of it is we're so tied in chains and you know the only way to get out of chains is to lie down, relax, and let someone take them off you. It is faith righteousness, not self-righteousness. And witchcraft tries to make it all about you complying to stuff that I want you to comply with. It says in verse 10 in Galatians 3, For as many 
are as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. If you decide to be under the law, if you decide to comply with the law, whether it's the Mosaic law or whether it's the Pentecostal, Catholic, Baptist, whatever laws, if you decide to comply with the law or just laws, you are bringing yourself under a curse. I don't really want to live under a curse. And yet there is a whole culture within the church that says, if you only, if you can, then we'll accept you. And here's the message. Like, I became a Christian when I was 15. If you had asked me when I was 15, are you on fire for Jesus? I'd have said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I went to a church where they had to break up the two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour Bible study for a smoke break. I don't think any, like, the, the guy was a guy called Robert Hunsdale. He was the leader, would, would never call himself a pastor, I think, uh, but he was the leader of the church. And what he did was, and he's, he's on his deathbed at the minute, and what he did, sorry, is that he saw people like me, 15 years old, like, dressed like a punk. I mean, I dressed like a punk. Like, with all the wrong, the worst attitudes you can possibly imagine. Like, I'm, I, there was no sonship within me whatsoever. Like, the worst attitudes. I am smoking. I am stealing. I am doing everything that I had been doing. Nobody would have noticed that I'd become a Christian. Really, nobody. I remember standing up in front of my class... The, the morning I, I got saved and said I became a Christian last night, nobody believed me. <laughs> and, and they didn't believe me. Like, it's not like they started to believe me because I, I started to, like, you know, sort of, woo <laughs> Didn't. There was not a big change. This guy, Robert Hunsdale, he took people. There was people like former terrorists, people that had just been released from prison, like drug addicts. And he took us in, and he saw something that we, that nobody else saw. Like we were sinners that were saved, barely. <laughs> like it was like just the, you know, Jesus, I accept you into my heart. Come live there forever. Amen. And he immediately believed in us. He believed not even in potential or future. He believed that the work of the cross was finished. Like he did, he just believed that the work was finished and all we had to do was just learn to walk in it. We have got to create a culture like that. We have got to create a culture that no matter what people come into, that we destroy the works of the enemy, that we destroy the witchcraft that is coming at the church to say, if you do this, then we'll accept you. If you behave in such a way, then we'll accept you. I mean, it's amazing I mentioned this on Friday, and it's amazing how we can extend grace to one of our own. And people think I'm a genius. People think, oh, thank you for all your expressions of, hey, Ian, you're amazing this week. Really, thank you. But here's the thing. Can you imagine what it was like to be around Jesus? Like, can you imagine? Here you are. You're a whore. You're a prostitute who's just selling herself to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that will pay and you want to be around the most sinless man you've ever met? Yeah. 
Can you imagine what that requires? It doesn't require one ounce of religion or legalism. It doesn't require that. It, it, if you believe that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance, then this is who we have to be. If this is who He is, this is who we should be. Not afraid of sin. Not try, You know, He who the Son sets free is free. Like it is this culture of freedom. It is... And you know what, what happens in the culture of freedom is people screw up. And we're not going to stop being free because people are free. <laughs> but what happens is that, that there is so much pressure to just be good little boys and girls. And if we can just be good little boys and girls, then it'll all be fine and everybody will be happy with us. The problem is you've just inserted yourself with a different Lord. In Galatians 1, it says the purpose of the cross is to, is to deliver you from this present evil age. And it is this present evil age because it has an evil king. And the evil king is one that comes to kill and destroy. Steel kills and destroys. This is the evil king over this present evil age. And, and the church, not, not the church, but there is an atmosphere within the church at times that wants to bring people in to the compliance of this evil age. That if you will just do X, Y, and Z, <laughs> then we'll accept you and we'll take you. If you bow the right way, if you genuflex the right way, if you hop on the one foot and then the other, then we'll, then we'll take you in. And instead, this is this present evil age. If you are just religious enough, self-righteous enough, then we'll accept you. And over this one, in an age that is timeless and eternal, and of the increase of His government and of peace, there shall be no end. In this age, there is a Father who says... Come. Teach it. Come on. Come. I came for people like you. Come on. Like it's the it's the sick that needs a doctor. It's not the well. It's not people who think they're well that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. And there is in this kingdom, it is a kingdom of righteousness. Not your righteousness. Not your righteousness. The minute you think it's your righteousness, you've just gone back over here. But this kingdom is a kingdom of His righteousness, of peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. And you know how you overcome witchcraft? I didn't get to this in the first service. This is how you overcome witchcraft. I think that joy is one of the essential elements of overcoming the spirit of religion of the spirit of witchcraft. I think it is manifest in joy. Joy, make no mistake about it, is the atmosphere of heaven. If you don't like joy, if you don't like joy, you're going to be miserable for eternity. Like you should see if you can rescind the agreement you made with Jesus in the first place. Because it is the atmosphere of heaven. Joy is the atmosphere of heaven. It is joyful. It is passionate. It is not one bit. It is, there is no dirge in heaven. But we overcome. How do we overcome? We overcome with the word of our testimony. 
Let me tell you how much I was forgiven. I am going to tell you how much I was forgiven. I was lost and now I'm found. And hell has nothing on me. Nothing. I was bought with a price. I am a blood-bought child of the Most High God. This is who I am. This is how I overcome religion, legalism, and witchcraft. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and the fact that we don't love our own lives. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb washes me from everything. Everything. What about those things that you're not really sorry about? What about your intentional sins? I've never met an unintentional sin. I've never met a guy who fell on a woman and had sex. Oh, I don't know how that happened. How did that? Oh, my goodness. I opened up my browser and you'll never guess what just appeared. It's in, See, your sin is intentional. It is absolutely intentional. If it's not intentional, it's not held against you. Sin is the things you mean to do wrong and you do them anyway. And the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Seriously, we do communion. There's communion every week. I take communion twice every Sunday because the blood of the Lamb. I need reminded that it is the blood of the Lamb that covers me from any death. Sin requires death. And Jesus said, let me deal with that for you. The blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony. And the fact we don't love our lives, even unto death. We don't love our lives. Oh, but I feel really this. I don't really curse. Stop it. Die to that. What if dying to yourself actually meant stop taking yourself so seriously? Like, you know this bit that, that you know, you know this bit in Scripture where it says, you know, that, that we are saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast? I don't think the boasting, and I tend to this as a pastor, someone who's worked with people all their lives, I seldom hear people saying, you know what, I'm sinless, I'm that awesome. I don't think I've ever met anybody saying, sinless. And yet, you know, it's by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Who boasts that they're sinless? That's not the problem in the church. The problem is that in the church is that we're so proud of our sin, we keep hold of it. Like this boasting looks a little bit different for us that have been in church for a while because I sin and I hold it to myself and say, don't talk to me. I have sinned. I cannot pray. I have sinned. You should hold this against me forever. I am so sorry that I've sinned. I'll never be used again. That's the boasting. I want to suggest that's the boasting. Because we think that we can do something about it instead of saying, you know what, it's hard to receive. It's hard to receive. I've just been given a gift I don't deserve. Oh my goodness. I'd rather deserve it. Is there any way I could earn this? And instead Jesus is going, no. <laughs> don't, don't be silly. But the, because the requirements of sin are death. I've taken care of that up for you. Jesus has taken care of that for you. So it's time to not identify ourselves as sinners and start calling ourselves who we really are and living to that identity. And stop allowing people to try and control our behavior just so that we can be nice. 
Christians. Let's stand. It's way better when I don't do it with notes. All right. Put your hands in your chest. Put your hands in your heart. And repeat this. Just say this after me, all right? I forgive myself for everything I have ever done. And I accept Jesus' righteousness. But Father, I pray that you would just forgive us for just trying to make it our way. That you would forgive us for trying to do this in our righteousness because it is woefully inadequate. Woefully inadequate. God, we are nothing without you. It is you that has made us great. It is the fact that we have your blood in us. That your blood is coursing through our veins and coursing through everything we do. It's the fact that your DNA is right inside. The DNA of the eternal God is inside us. That we are made in your image. It's those facts that cause us to know that we are a blood-bought child. That we are blood-bought children. You have paid a price to win us so that we don't have to pay that price. God, I pray that you would release your favor, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, I thank you that you're abundant in grace, abundant in mercy, and that you're so slow to be angry. Lord, forgive us for making you this angry God. And that we would preach the good news to people that their sins are forgiven. And God, I thank you that that is a bridge to somewhere. That our sins forgiven is a bridge to somewhere. And the bridge is not the destination, but the destination is your kingdom. Now let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' glorious name. (laughs) Jesus' glorious name. The name above all names. The name above all names. The one who comes and is faithful and true. Faithful and true. Jesus, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.